Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. The Dogs, Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. That's what we do, that's what we have done, that's what we will do. We defend government schools because they need defending. They're under attack from all particular quarters, in particular the free market, uh, the free market theologians who believe that private is good and public is bad, and indeed the profiteers, be they private profiteers or indeed religious organisations who want government money to run their private schooling systems. You'll notice it's me, Robert, here on the radio today and not Jean. Jean's having a break, um, but nevertheless the, the world continues to turn and people continue to attack public education and we will explore um, educational issues over the last week, both here in Australia and around the world, and in particular in Victoria as well. Now, we have a new government in Canberra. Simon Birmingham is the new Education Minister, and we did an in-depth analysis of his background and started to think about the way the new federal government will be dealing with educational issues over the next little while. And there's been some more information come out of Simon Birmingham, in particular in relation to the vocational education and training processes in this great country of ours, Australia. Um, And some of it is interesting, and some of it is concerning, and some of it potentially might even be hopeful. But here in Australia, we have a number of different education systems which are all designed to educate the children of Australia. We have the public education system, so constantly under attack, and the private education system, which in our particular cultural context is divided into the independent school system. As Jean would say, they're actually a dependent school system because if you take the government money away, they cease to exist. And we have a very large proportion of kids who are educated in the Catholic education system, again, which is fundamentally dependent upon taxpayers' money to function. Now, these systems have developed over the last half of the 20th century and into the 21st century, um, and the issues surrounding them have become not just educational issues but broader social issues. And I'd like to address this question because we're not the only people out there. In fact, the DOGS position and the DOGS program, which has been going since the 80s, have always held a very, very simple line. No taxpayers' money should go to any private religious or business institution for the benefit um, of the children of our nation when it comes to education. No funding for private schools. It doesn't matter what stripe, colour or religion they might be. But here in Australia, that's not the case. We're fighting for it to be the case, but at the moment it's not. 
And um, there's been some interesting cons- movements in terms of the implications of what's happened with this funding over the decades, and one of which, of course, is what can be loosely called social segregation. Back in South Africa in the 20th century, this social segregation was called apartheid, and it was in South Africa based upon the colour of people's skin. But in Australia, um, social segregation is a more complex matter. And it's addressed indeed by Julie Zergo in an interesting article published a little while ago, but I think it's still interesting, entitled Going Private. Is it about top grades or is it about the right milieu? And she says in this particular article in July that when the Rudd government, under the banner of its education revolution, and listeners, you might remember that, it's several years ago, but there was this thing called the education revolution, like when it first published the NAPLAN test results for every school through the MySchool website, um, this particular author, Julie, was one of the 1.5 million Australians who accessed the site in its first few hours and actually crashed it. Such was the hunger for Australian people for knowledge and transparency about school performance among the country's increasingly anxious middle-class parents. Now, time has moved on. Um, and it's been well, five years, I think, since that got kicked off. And um, she suspects, and I do too, that many parents take a more measured approach um, to this view of reform. Most parents would concede that while transparency is a good thing, crude results on a website tell an incomplete story about a school's educational ethos. And she suspects that there's nothing, well, there's enough collective experience to suggest that education unions' claims of teaching being made to drill students for the tests at the expense of the broader curriculum actually now, five years on, aren't entirely exaggerated. Now, when the MySchool website was introduced, the education unions boycotted the national tests, claiming the published results would be misused as league tables and would be used to unfairly stigmatise underperforming schools. Still... With all NAPLAN's limitations in mind, the results were, and are in many cases, illuminating, even startling, when set against the mythologies and pure falsehoods that cloud, crack, that cloud the debate about education these days. Now this week, and this is back in July, there was an analysis based on the result of the 2014 NAPLAN tests that showed primary school students in private schools performing only slightly better than the students in public schools. Now, in secondary schools, it's a different picture and perhaps far more gloomier, but Julie wants to actually get into that later, and I think we should too. Um, It is certainly the case with numeracy, and there are negligible differences between the average scores of students in the two sectors, public and private, and it's reported to be less than 1%, which, of course, is statistically insignificant. Now, on the persuasive writing tests, however, this gap between public and private jumped to nearly 7%. Between that to do with a higher concentration of kids from non-English-speaking backgrounds in public schools, or perhaps private school students are more practised and encouraged in the art of persuasion. In any event, there's been a series of studies over the years finding little difference in the results of students from government and private schools once social disadvantage is taken into account. Now, in April in Queensland, um, there was a university study at the University of Queensland um, of four waves of primary-aged children born since 
March 1999, and it found that birth weight and the amount of time a mother spends with her child and the education level of both parents will have more impact on the child's progress than whether they attend a private or a public school. And these conclusions tallied with actually similar findings um, in studies in the United States and studies in the UK. Now, for the aspirational parents who braves their local primary school, these studies bring smug satisfaction. For the parents bleeding money on private school fees on the assumption that this buys their child a competitive advantage, it raises the prospect of a con. Unless the latter parents aren't so much interested in giving their kids a competitive advantage of high marks, but the anti-competitive privilege invested in the old school tie. In other words, perhaps the mania for private schools is less about the perceived quality of education and more about ensuring children muck in with a certain kind of peer group. But whichever way they're viewed, the NAPLAN analysis and similar findings are depressing for anyone who wants to believe in the power of education to lift individuals beyond their station. It's disheartening to think that the main indicators of academic success is still what a child's parents do for a crust and not what their teacher does in the classrooms. Here, we can only learn from the exceptions to the rule. Um, Schools such as Dandenong North Primary School here in Victoria, which beat the state average on spelling and performed strongly overall, despite being socially disadvantaged, the result is both a credit to them and a general rebuke to similarly disadvantaged schools that now conform to our low expectations for their cohort. Now, Julie... um, several years ago, tutored at a Year 12 12 student from a neighbouring school in Dandenong. Now, this student was an intelligent teenager but came from a migrant background and somehow managed to get to Year 12 without knowing that the sentences start with a capital letter in Year 12. Now, that particular school has since been closed. Um, But she mentions it's a gulf between private and public school results at secondary level that the real indictment on our... is the real indictment on our education system. By year nine, she says, private school students begin to eclipse their public counterparts, and by year 12, well, the league tables are a testament to the gross inequality that threatens our country's economic future. Now, at a secondary level, we see that the multiplier effect in action. Private schools with high concentration of rich kids, cherry-picking smart kids, Excellent resources and supposedly premium teachers become incubators for academic success. In residual state schools, it's the same thing in reverse. Concentrated disadvantage, insufficient resources and complacent attitudes drag everyone down. Now, independent schools uh, chief executive, Michelle Green, warns that schools should not be compared on NAPLAN data alone as the test does not measure all aspects of student learning. Well... As Julie says, this is true. Perhaps on that basis, private schools might refrain from boasting about their Year 12 results. And once we measure all aspects of student learning, perhaps our political leaders might pull our taxpayer dollars from the kind of schools that recruit cashed-up overseas students and instead start funding educational opportunities for all Australians. And I'm quoting here from an article by Julie Zergo in July, actually it was, a few months ago. Um, And she wrote that article in The Age... And I think it highlights one of the very fundamental problems. And it's a problem that exists in our world when it comes to privatising anything. If you are one of those people who want to make money because you want to become a private company 
or organisation that wants to take government taxpayers-funded money, I mean, if you want to take the taxpayers' money, and set up a public service institution, the first thing you have to do is run the public organisation into the ground. You have to make sure it's defunded. You have to make sure that lots of press is out there about how terrible it is so that the solution becomes to privatise it. This is something that Pine has done over a number of years, has no interest in the state school system. He runs it into the ground. And so, therefore, the solution to the problem that state schools, compared to private schools, are supposedly underperforming, um, the solution to this, of course, is to privatise them because private is always good and public is always bad. Um, This is a dangerous and fallacious argument. And Julie, um, in this article hints first at the problem, but then also hints at an alternative solution. The solution to Australia's educational woes is to appropriately fund and manage and support the state education system. Where's the money going to come from? It comes from the private school system. But, I hear the defenders of private education say, you can't do that because the private education system saves the taxpayer money. Well, over the years on the DOGS program, we've showed this to be patently false. Patently false. And there's a very interesting process going on in Victoria which demonstrates this patent falsity. Because in February, early this year, one of the first things the the Andrews state government did here in Victoria was to make sure that private schools got a large amount of money with no accountability whatsoever. Now, the Auditor-General was going to... Um, generate a report, hopefully using follow-the-money powers, um, later this year. But the Auditor-General at the moment in Victoria, he's been sacked, and I can't get hold of that report. I'm not sure it will ever turn up. In fact, I'm sure it's in the interests of those people who have our taxpayers' money, certainly in the Catholic school system, that no such report is ever written, because I'm sure it will provide an, an embarrassing story. Um, And we're going to be talking about this certainly in the context of the Catholic education system here in Victoria in terms of why they have the money and where it all comes from. But also we'll be discussing the vocational education training money because something quite shocking has happened, something just so obviously wrong that something needs to be done in the vocational educational processes that Australia currently has at the moment. But more on that after these messages. I'll just do, hi, this is Kim, you do the rest of that line. I'll do the next line, you do the next line. Okay. Yeah? Yep, yep. <laughs> hi, this is Kim. And this is Janina. And we present Arts Up. Tune in to our weekly arts news, reviews and interviews from a black point of view. Arts Up, every Monday from 2 to 4pm on 3CR. I know what's good. 8.55 on your AM dial. I know how to have a good time. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. It's good to have your company. Um, in Victoria, the private school system in 2015 have got themselves a massive windfall. Um, and I'm recording for research which has been done by Trevor Cobold as part of his organisation, the Save Our Schools website up there in Canberra. Um, and he says that the Victorian private schools will receive actually a hidden windfall dividend of nearly $200 million following a recent announcement um, earlier this year by the Labor government to increase funding for public schools by $747 million over four years. Now, okay, the Labor government in Victoria is putting an extra $747 million over four years into state schools. Brilliant. But 
The windfall of $200 million, which has to now be given to private schools, whether they need it or not, would have, in fact, been better spent on the public schools themselves. And so that could have been $947 million. Because public schools enrolled a vast proportion of disadvantaged students in the state, as was highlighted um, by what Julie said just before the messages before. This is a known fact. This is not speculation. The state schools take the vast majority of all those students who have disadvantage all across, the, all across the nation and indeed in Victoria. So that's where the money should go to lift those students out of their situation so they can become productive members of society at least. Now the Andrews government delivered on this deal in February with the Education and Training Reform Amendment Act. This act guaranteed that the state government funding of private schools to be at least 25% of the state government funding per public school student. Now, 25% of any recurrent funding increase per student in public schools is now automatically flown on to the private school system without any questions at all. Now, in this case, private schools will get a funding increase over the next four years of $187 million, and it will be even higher if private schools' enrolments increase. Now, the very large part of the welcome funding increase to public schools is directed at disadvantaged students. However, the increase for private schools has no regard to the proportion of disadvantaged students in private schools themselves. Indeed, the proportion of disadvantaged students in the private school sector could decline over the next four years, but it would still get the same 25% of the public school increase. It is absurd, according to Trevor Cobalt and indeed the dogs, that the amount of state government funding to private schools should be determined by the level of funding and disadvantage in public schools rather than need in the private schools themselves. Well, here at the dogs, obviously, we argue that private schools should get no money from taxpayers. Um, Trevor Cobalt has a slightly different point of view, but to continue on with what Trevor would say about this is that the public school funding is heavily influenced by the fact that low SES, Indigenous, remote areas and disability students comprise a much higher proportion of total enrolments than they do, of course, in private schools. For example, according to figures provided by the Senate Estimates in July this year by the Australian Curriculum and Assessment and Reporting Authority, Students in the lowest SES quartile comprise only 8% of the total enrolments of independent schools in Victoria and 15% of Catholic school enrolments, compared to almost 30% or a third of public school enrolments. The cost of educating disadvantaged students therefore adds much more to the cost of public education than to private schools. Now this link, this link is that every time a state school gets a dollar, a private school just gets 25% just because, this link ensures that private schools get a windfall funding gain each time the government decides to increase public school funding to reduce the impact of disadvantage on educational outcomes. The link also provides an additional and ongoing windfall gain to private schools through the gradual shift of higher SES students to the private sector. High SES students are, on average, low-cost students, and their declining proportion in public schools tends to increase the average expenditure per student over time without any policy change by governments. Now, 25% of the ongoing increase then flows onto private schools as pure windfall without regard or need to any other factor. 
Paradoxically, then, the shift of higher SES students to private school results in an increase in government funding per students in these schools. The absurdity of linking private school funding to public school funding was recognised by the Gonski Review. The Gonski Review said, such a link, and I quote, lacks a convincing educational rationale and recommended that be replaced by a resourcing model based on an educational need. However, instead of getting rid of this absurdity, the Andrews government has formally endorsed it into legislation. Now, the Labor government's defence is that its funding of private schools is distributed according to need. Now, this ignores the fact that the total bucket of money for private schools is determined by the funding to public schools, not need in private schools. It also ignores the fact that 40% of the state government's funding for private schools is distributed as per capita component without regard to need. The most wealthy, exclusive private schools, such as Geelong Grammar, Scots College, Brighton Grammar, Lauriston, etc., all get per capita funding amount, even though they have few, or in some cases, no disadvantaged students. The other 60% of state government funding for private schools is nominally distributed according to needs formula. However, there is no assurance that this occurs in practice, at least in private school systems such as the Catholic, Seventh-day Adventist, Lutheran and ecumenical systems, which account for a large part of the state government funding for private schools. In these systems, the government funding is provided to the system authority such as the Catholic Education Commission, to distribute to individual schools, and this I quote, as it sees fit. There is no requirement for the authority to distribute the money according to the needs formula, or indeed reveal to anyone how the money is distributed. The Catholic Education Commission, for example, has consistently refused to divulge how its funding is distributed. The undeniable fact is that private schools in Victoria have received massively preferential funding increases over public schools for many years. Now, figures provided to Senate estimates by ACARA in May show that Victorian government funding per Catholic school student, when adjusted for inflation, increased, and get this, by 17.6% between 2009 and 2013. And funding per independent school student increased by 11.2%, and this compared to a reduction in funding per public school student of 6.5%. Shocking. The funding increases to private schools were the largest of any state or territory. Federal government funding has similarly favoured private schools. Federal government funding per Catholic student increased by 9.5% and by 11% for independent school students, while funding for each public school student fell by 3.8% over the same time. These trends, according to Trevor Cobald, are scandalous. It is unconscionable that successive governments... Victorian and Federal, Labour and Coalition have so favoured more advantaged private schools over disadvantaged public schools. The big problem in Victoria is that the Andrews government has created a legislative barrier to any change in school funding policy. 
it has made it impossible to increase funding for the large proportion of disadvantaged students in public schools and improve their educational outcomes without providing a windfall increase to private schools. All private schools, even those with few or no disadvantaged students, get a bite of any funding increase to public schools. And as Trevor says, and I agree, it is completely indefensible. Hi, I'm Fia. Independent musicians like me love Local and Live. It's one of the things that makes Melbourne's music scene so great. Jennifer, Jennifer, would you tell me what you see? Welcome again to the Dogs Program, Defence of Government Schools on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast on the www's available at the 3CR website and indeed our website which is www.adogs.info That's www.adogs.info Now we've been discussing what Trevor Cobalt considers as unconscionable and I could just get a, consider scandalous about what's going on and how things are getting worse for the poor public school system across Australia. It's a system that needs defending, which is why we do it. But there are broader ideas, um, and often these ideas are tied up in the notion of values. And the values of state schools, of course, is that they take all students, uh, regardless of race, colour, creed, um, educational attainment level, because the values of a state school is that all students in this country, all kids in this country, deserve a top-quality education, and that's not what's happening at the moment. Now, these problems are not unique to Australia, and there's a very interesting story, which um, has popped up from time to time. It's called the Blueberry Story. It was about a very successful businessman who got annoyed about the way education was being run in the United States. Very successful businessman, actually. His name was Volmer. And um, he said, I'm going to fix up this whole education system because I'm a businessman and businessmen know how to do things properly. So he got involved and decided that schools should be run like businesses. And so he went to a school to talk to some teachers about what they were doing wrong and how they weren't doing total quality management and they weren't doing just-in-time production and how he would solve all their problems because he knows how to run a business and a school is just like a business. But when he got there, something very interesting happened. And I think Mr Volmer can actually describe what went on um, in his own words. And it's a very interesting story. I I think it's a very interesting story. Um, It's called The Blueberry Story. And I think here on the Dogs Program, we should take some time to hear exactly what's going on with this because I personally find it instructive. And this story goes to what we've been discussing. This story goes to why the government should only give money to educational institutions that are free, universal, and indeed secular, that are open to all and to offensive to none. And if you set up an educational institution that is not open to all, that is not free, and when I say free, that is funded by us, the taxpayers, who pay our taxes in very, very, in very simple terms so that all the people, all the kids in Australia can get a good education. If your educational institution does not um, conform to those very simple principles, then indeed it should get no money. But anyway, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you, dear listeners, to... The Blueberry Story, as told by the, this businessman himself. Jamie Volmer is the author of the new book, Schools Cannot Do It Alone, Building Public Support for America's Public Schools. Once a harsh critic, he has become a nationally recognized friend of public education, 
a champion of reasonable reform, and an award-winning promoter of improved school-community relations. In 1988, Jamie entered the education arena as a businessman and attorney when he became a founding member of the Iowa Business and Education Roundtable. At the time, he was managing a small, successful manufacturing firm called the Great Midwestern Ice Cream Company. Four years earlier, the company had become famous when People magazine said they made the best ice cream in America. That judgment was echoed by the Chicago Tribune, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, the Houston Chronicle, the New York Post, Time, Newsweek, and the Today Show. There was even an anatomy magazine that said it was the best ice cream in America. It's called Playboy. Like many businessmen, Vollmer entered the education reform debate with little direct experience, but firmly committed to three assumptions. First, our schools need to change. We are not getting the workers we need. Second, the people working in our schools are the problem. They are hunkered down in a monopoly, shielded from competition, with no incentive to change. And third, if we just run our schools like a business, everything would improve. Vollmer has learned a lot over the last 20 years. He's visited hundreds of schools and spoken with thousands of education and community groups. Of his original assumptions, only number one remains intact. In the following clip of a speech given in Texas, Jamie tells the now famous story of how he lost assumption number three. And on the issue of this third assumption, that you just run it like a business. That assumption went away on a snowy day in January of 1990, when I am invited by a superintendent to come and give an in-service to his staff. He must have hated those people. I was just a bully. All I would do was yell in those days about how lousy you all were. But I agree, this is the first education audience I'm going to get to speak to. Up to until then, it was all business and community folks. I'm so excited. So I'm sitting on this little auditorium stage, and I'm watching everybody file in, and they're already angry. What I don't know is their only in-service opportunity for three months, and I am the sole presenter. They're furious. They know who I am. My reputation has preceded me. So I get introduced, and I begin to speak. And the teachers did what the teachers always did in those days when I would talk. Openly grade papers in front of me. <laughs> talk to their neighbors, share notes with the folks behind them. I'm giving a speech and there's a roar in this room. But you're not going to bully me. I start pouring it on. What's the matter with you people? You know, if I ran my business the way you people operate your schools, I wouldn't be in business very long. Teachers, y'all cloak yourselves in tenure. Administrators. They shield themselves behind this monopolistic bureaucracy. And they and the board, they use the rules and regulations that those hoodlums in Austin think up in the middle of the night. They use those rules and regulations as excuses for not pushing the schools into the 21st. Listen, in business, we invented total quality management. We understand continuous improvement, zero defects. If you run it like we run it in business, blah, 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 blah. 15 minutes pass, nobody's grading papers. All pens are down and they're glaring at me like this. <laughs> I get to the end of my talk, forget applause. Dead silent in that room and I have to admit I'm a tad intimidated so I get to go off the stage and the superintendent is in the wings and he's going Q&A. 
Q&A. I forgot I promised to do a question and answer period, so I come back to the middle of the stage, and as soon as I get there, a woman's hand goes up. Actually, right about where you are, ma'am. I looked at her. She appeared to be pleasant. <laughs> she was nicely done. I thought, oh, I'll start with her. She'll be polite. What I find out later, she's a 32-year veteran high school English teacher, been laying in the bushes for me for about an hour. <laughs> she starts out just as nice as you please. Mr. Ballmer, we understand you make good ice cream. Well. I was insufferable in those days. Excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> Best ice cream in America. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, sir. Must be rich and smooth. 16% butterfat, low overrun, which is the amount of air you whip in to make ice cream cheap. Very low overrun. Oh, it, you're going to love it. Yes. Something tells me you must use nothing but grade A ingredients. Your nuts, your berries, your flavorings. Oh, whoa. At the Great Midwestern Ice Cream Company, it's nothing but AAA. And a little smile shot across her face that I did not understand at the time. <laughs> yes, sir. Let me ask you a question, Mr. Vollmer. If you are walking through your factory one day and you come out onto the receiving dock, you know, where the trucks arrive, the shipments arrive, and you see a shipment, I don't know, a shipment of blueberries come in that is not up to your AAA specification, what do you do? And in the silence of that room, you could hear the trap snap. dead meat, but I wasn't going to lie to the lady. I said, ma'am, I would send them back. Not a young woman. She sprang to her feet. She points her finger at me. She says, that's right. You would send them back. We can never send back the blueberries our suppliers send us. We take them big, small, rich, poor, hungry, abused, brilliant, homeless, with bad vision, poor hearing, sore teeth, brilliant, creative, curious, cautious, Frightened, haven't slept well, ADHD, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, English is a second language. We take them all, Mr. Vollmer, and that's why it's not a business, it's school. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. I would have gotten the point, but all 230 of them jumped to their feet. Yeah, blueberries, pal! Blueberries! Yep, blueberries. You're listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We discuss educational issues with an idea of defending public education because it requires defending. And as some of our dear listeners say, this is about the only place you can get the truth on these matters when it comes to education. There is so much obfuscation out there, both with the paid lobbyists from private education systems and indeed the um, media, which seems to not be particularly interested in this subject, or at least talking too much about it in a truthful way. Um, I'm going to discuss our new education minister, Simon Birmingham, what his plans are for the future of education in Australia after these messages. Over 7.5 million people tune into community radio stations around Australia each month. 
just like you, they're tuning in to get diversity, alternatives and to escape from the predictability of mainstream media. And it's good morning from the Concrete Gang. And we're getting stuck into the Garden Show. Good afternoon and welcome to Ruminations here on 3CR. Welcome to another edition of Great Voices, 3CR's classical vocal program. Good morning and welcome to the Latin American Update program, 8.55am. Every day, 3CR brings you current affairs, local music, gig guides, activist information and community views and voices. Make sure you join us. Call 9419-8377. Welcome back again to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Now, our nation's new education federal minister plans to boost the status of vocational training so students don't feel they have to go to university to get a good career as he begins the shake-up of his vast education portfolio. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Vocational training, that's good. Plans include pushing for Commonwealth to take over responsibilities for funding vocational education, including TAFE colleges, from the states. Again, jury's out, why not? Now, the appointment of Simon Birmingham, a progressive Liberal senator from South Australia, offers the Turnbull administration in government a chance to reframe the educational agenda following 18 months of raucous debate over the university's fee deregulations. Now, in an interview, as she was with Fairfax Media on around about the 22nd of September or slightly before, in this interview he said he would be driven by pragmatism rather than by ideology. And he says, this includes a renewed focus on vocational education and training long regarded as the country's forgotten education sector. He says, university enrolments have surged since the previous Labor government uncapped places. And he says, I want to make sure parents and students can send a vocational pathway alongside a university pathway. He says, the data shows employment rates for people who complete trade-based apprenticeships are around 90%, and starting salaries are often better than those for university graduates. Good. It's all nice. Oh, he's saying all the right things. He says it's critical that students make informed decisions and not think university is the obvious and the only way. Again, I have no particular um, beef with what he's saying there. Um, he also said that the Turnbull government is not wedded to university fee deregulation, and that's in fact paving the way for dropping Minister Pine, the previous Minister Pine's idea about deregulating university fees, which is a pretty good start. Um, He says, as the coalition government under Malcolm Turnbull, it will be true to the values. But we shouldn't let what we think is ideal be the enemy of a good so we can make progress in other ways. So he's saying, well, we're not necessarily going to follow along with Mr Pine, was saying in the first place. But what he wants to do is make sure in supporting the vocational education and training programs around Australia that he wants to be able to give government money to private universities and private VET colleges, more, in fact, than are being given at the moment. Now, last week we did an expose on what's going on currently in the VET sector and why it requires reform. And I think it's worth pointing out, because there's been some very interesting studies done on this, about what exactly is going on with vocational education in Australia. Now, Michael Blanchard, again from the Fairfax Media, has done an in-depth um, study of this. Um, he, did, he wrote an article several weeks ago for which he was um, threatened uh, by various providers for publishing. He did publish it courageously 
and he's come back with some more research into what's actually going on in vocational education and training. And he says quite stridently, he says that the vocational education system in Australia is being actually being run by shonks and shysters, and they've just taken control. He said, and he says, he says, if you want to go to a privately run vocational education and training institution like the Phoenix Institute and sign up there for a 10-month business diploma, it will cost a new student $18,000. This course, which is delivered online at a college with no reputation, this course costs $8,000 more than a year on-campus tuition at the School of Medicine at Melbourne University. Now, in both cases, the learner finishes the year with a debt to the Commonwealth, but the Melbourne University student doing medicine is significantly more likely to have been given something of value and is much more likely to eventually be able to repay the debt. Now, while enormous concerns have been expressed over the federal government's plan to deregulate university fees, which now Mr Birmingham, I think, is dropping, few have noticed an even more radical deregulation that has taken place in vocational education so far and the epic level of fraud that has followed. Here, in the vocational education sector, prospective students are much more likely to be unemployed, less educated, older and poorer. They need training to fill the demands of industry for skilled workers. Instead, though, many are being lured by door-to-door salesmen, fake job advertisements or shopping mall spruikers in dubious online courses in private colleges run by people who are not, in fact, educators. Now, Michael Blanchard says there are two basic issues. One is cost and the other is quality. The price of each course is up to the college to determine. The only limit is a, is a lifetime vocational learning limit per individual of $93,000 per individual. Now, the spectre of $100,000 degrees is one reason the Senate has blocked university regulation, but in vocational education today in Australia, debts of this size are already a possibility. Now, the Commonwealth, and that's us, by the way, spends this money up front, handing it to the colleges. It expects to see it repaid through a hex-style delayed repayment scheme called the Vet Fee Help Scheme. As for quality, unlikely in the heavily regulated university sector, sorry, unlike, I should say, in the heavily regulated university sector, there is no minimum course length no standardised testing at the end, and precious little oversight for the colleges. And this industry, this VET industry, is growing exponentially. This year alone, that's 2015, new students are likely to sign up to $4 billion worth of vocational courses, triple the cost of a year ago, most of which is flowing to a plethora of new, small, unregulated colleges. The industry, by design, is demand-driven, but it's colleges, not students, driving the demand. They employ an army of salesmen, which are euphemistically known as brokers, who can earn millions in profit from taxpayer subsidies. The dodgy brokers, which we highlighted on the DOGS program a couple of weeks ago, 
such as some of those working for the Melbourne Phoenix Institute, specifically target people living in public housing, the intellectually disabled, the drug-addicted and non-English speakers. They offer a free laptop as an incentive to get a signature on a new student, then fill out the literacy and numeracy tests themselves on behalf of their clients, or indeed coach their clients through it. A number of former salesmen have confirmed to Fairfax Media that at Phoenix at least most students, inverted commas, are signed up to two courses each, generating $36,000 in revenue for the college's publicly listed owner, the Australian Careers Network. And this $36,000 is, of course, your money. It is government money. It is taxpayers' money. Now, the salesman then comes back to the house after this is done to sit in the room and coach the new student as the college makes its post-cooling-off period confirmation phone call. Phoenix said, through a spokesperson, that it was cracking down on rogue salesmen, had sacked a number of agents since February and reported them to authorities. The spokesperson for Phoenix College, this is one example, says, instances of poor broker behaviour are now historical. We don't do that anymore. At its worst, this is not about education. It's about money. Many of these students will never study anything and never repay their debt to the Commonwealth taxpayer. However, those who get their lives together and start earning more than the threshold amount may be surprised to find a large education debt against their name. The system is not working for also for the employers. The Australian Industry Group Chief Executive, Innes Wilcox, says his members, who employ a large number of vocationally trained students, have been, and I quote, concerned for some time with the poor outcomes and worrying growth in low-quality providers. Um, the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry also says three months ago, this person, um, this supposed called Jenny Lambert, who's the spokesperson for the Chamber of Commerce, said that three months ago she was in this, on a panel in a conference in the city. She said there are 400 people in the room, all involved in training, and she asked, does anyone think we've got a better system today than we had 10 years ago? And not one person put up their hand. Now, the honest providers are also worried. The Open University Chief Executive, Paul Wappert, said his institution offers online diplomas of project management for $5,000, while others are sucking $16,500 from the government, triple what Open University thinks is good value, in return for the same qualification, the same curriculum, and the same national training package. He's concerned that the whole industry and education itself, which is now Victoria's biggest export industry, will be tainted by the excesses. He encouraged students who are suspicious about whether the courses they are being offered is genuine or it's just another sham. The National Centre for Vocational Educational Research is conducting a major research project for the government and a leaked copy of the report's summary said a number of the students funded by the VET fee help had tripled since 2012, but that the students in the system were highly unlikely to complete their training. Now, the release of this report has been, of course, delayed. Now, how technical education came to be like this is a story of ideology and government failure at both the national and state levels. Now, the first moves came under the Keating government's competition reforms in the 1990s, which opened the TAFE sector up to private competition. 
and its most enthusiastic proponent was the Kennett government in Victoria. The belief was that private know-how would render the system more flexible and responsive to the needs of employers. By current standards, back in those days, this was baby steps. According to the Australian Education Union's Pat Forward, more changes were made in Victoria under the Brax and Brumby governments, which the Napthine government embraced. One consequence was to make it became much easier to make it become much easier to run a college. Bruce McKenzie, who is a leading Premier Dan Andrews government review into the, the sector at the moment, said he said anyone could have started a private college. It was it was open slather. In 2011 and 2012, you can get as much money as you wanted if you can enrol students in any course that was funded by the government, and there were 1,400 of them. He said, who operates without a budget? It was insanity. When the cost of the Victorian taxpayer hit $1.5 billion, the state government started to rein it in, but by that stage, federal labour had caught the deregulation bug. Julia Gillard's 2012 National Funding Agreement introduced a HEC-style loan scheme for diploma-level courses. Lower-level courses, that's Certs 1, 2 and 3, will get Commonwealth funding on only condition that the state governments allow private providers to compete with TAFEs. Between them, these policies rapidly opened up the market. It was like a honeypot. It was just massive, Mr Forward said. There was no standard price and virtually no quality assurance for courses that are now overwhelmingly delivered online. Winning approval to run a college was easy, as was registering for public subsidies. Far from being responsive to the needs of business, private colleges flood the market with the most popular courses because they are the most lucrative. Now, Labor Education spokesperson Kim Carr now admits of his 2012 decision in, in back in those days, he said, good intentions have produced unintended consequences. Now, Education Minister, Senator Simon Birmingham, is committed to deep... Well, he's now uncommitted to deregulating universities. But it would be very difficult to deregulate the vocational training sector. Now... What we're talking here is about the transfer of billions of dollars from the public purse to the profits of private companies who are often quite new to the education game, and the blowout of the Commonwealth budget is simply unacceptable. Now, in the state scheme, the perfectly legal trick is slightly different. What colleges do is they sign people up to a short, cheap course in areas such as aged care, childcare or IT, they pretend it's a Certificate three qualification and reap the full government subsidies. Colleges make big profits for little work, and the certificates are not worth the paper they're printed on. To decry to cage these untamed animal spirits, a state government inquiry, a Senate inquiry, and the Australian Competition and Community Commission investigation are now all underway. The federal government has given a big boost to the industry policemen, the Australian Skills Quality Authority, which now costs $60 million a year and received more than 1,500 complaints last year. Now, Mr Birmingham is actually very now hopefully well aware of the problem. Um, after Fairfax Media and him the Dogs Program, we actually told him about these scandals. They actually go beyond one single um, college. They go beyond the Phoenix Institute. These problems are, in fact, systemic. 
Now, Birmingham, as an assistant minister in the Abbott government, put new controls in place in March, outlawing the offer of laptops or iPads to potential students as incentives. This was immediately undercut by the salesmen, who simply now legally give out laptops and iPads as loan devices with no intention of reclaiming them. Now, more reforms are likely to come in place early next year. The most important means that the Commonwealth will no longer pay a lump sum up front to colleges for the whole cost of the course. Payments will come in stages and will be tied to students' results. But the delayed implementation, which Mr Birmingham said will be allow time for colleges to alter processes and systems, mean that they are now making hay while the sun shines. The shonks and shysters have already become millionaires and now have time to think of fresh ways to get around the law. Now, what is needed is very simply tighter regulation. What is needed is to take public money away from private education providers because it's not money that's being used efficiently, effectively, and there is obviously, up to this point, absolutely no accountability. But while indeed the Liberal government is committed to deregulating universities in some way or other, um, it's going to be very difficult for the Minister to deal with this. The cat's out of the bag, and the only way, of course, is to put it back in the bag and take the money away from the private providers and boost what is left of the TAFE system, which seemed to work quite well up until, up, up until they started to, to privatise things. Now, a quote from the government inquiry chief, Mr Mackenzie, who is indeed a former TAFE chief executive, is this. He says, it's easy to clean it up. You say, here is the maximum fee, here are the minimum hours, and here's the test at the end. That's the ideal. And he says, the problem, I think, is the ideology gets in the way of proper practice. Well, how about a government-funded TAFE system where they say, here's the maximum fee, here are the minimum hours, and here's the test at the end. That's what we used to do. It's back to the future, ladies and gentlemen. Well, you've been listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, it's been wonderful to have your company, and hopefully we've um, filled you in on what's going on in educational issues and defended state schools as we always do here at 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, if you're interested in what it is that we've been discussing this week or last week or the week before or the years before, um, it's all up there on our website, which is www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Anyway, until next week, and there will be a next week because government schools will need to be defended by then. I don't think we'll have won in the next seven days. Until next week, it's bye for now. Says Joe, but I.
horses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize. Went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he.